Morning. Morning. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Morning to you. Hey, before we get into our teaching on Philemon this morning, uh, we mentioned online this week and in our weekly email that we have an important announcement that we need to share. So I want to spend just a few minutes talking about that. Uh, if you will, imagine yourself kind of leaving this room. You've walked into the lobby. You've now walked out of our building. In your mind, take a left, walk on the parking lot till you get to the edge. You're now walking on the grass. You are essentially at what is the southeast corner of Lexington in 125th. There used to be a yellow shell gas station there. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, that gas station, uh, basically when Quick Trip opened or started building, uh, they shut down. And the owner was planning to redevelop. He paid to have his uh, gas station uh, deconstructed, knocked down. And then he began working with an architect and a contractor to build a actually fairly sizable wedding event center was going to be squeezed in on that property. In fact, when we were at city council meetings in early 2020 for this building, uh, they were going through the same process for the wedding event center uh, on that corner property. Uh, there's plans for it and everything. In fact, I have pictures of what it was going to look like. If you want to see, see what it was, that was going to go up on that corner. Well, for whatever reason, uh, the city rejected these plans. Uh, it had some zoning issues and, and so on and so forth. And after that, we literally heard nothing for quite a long period. They were trying to put like a restaurant in there as well and a coffee shop. I was praying for Culver's and such. But um, <laughs> I was like, it's within walking distance. And uh, they, we just didn't hear anything. I just assumed, we all assumed, that they were just trying to get different tenants for their, for their building. Well, three months ago, I was in a meeting with uh, Rachel Cheney from our staff, and we were just discussing this, the astronomical growth of this church and how even now on some Sundays, you can see it when you leave probably this service a lot, where there's people parking on the road even. We have some parking challenges. And we just said, well, what about that lot? Like, is anything actually happening on that lot? In fact, I'll show you a slide now so you can kind of see where it is. So we own uh, eight acres here, all the way from right up to Kindercare's property on the left, all the way down to that corner lot. That lot is 2.3 acres. So I called our commercial realtor, uh, Jay Shimoleski, who our church has worked with for like eight years, and I said, what's the deal with this property? Do you know anything? He said, I'll do some digging. I'll get back to you. He calls me the next day, and he said, okay, here's, here's what's going down. Uh, essentially, the owner of that original lot had fallen on difficult times. The lot went as a sheriff sale, kind of like a, a foreclosure, essentially. And the contractor, who was uh, originally going to build the wedding event center, got a hold of the property, and they were working on essentially closing on the property, and they were within a matter of weeks going to put this property right next to us back for sale, one of the best corners in Blaine, uh, out to the general public. So I reached out to our board. Our board let, met almost the next day, and then we worked to negotiate, and we have entered into a purchase agreement period with the sellers of that land to buy that particular piece of land for $1.3 million dollars. That is amazing. Okay. Let me tell you just two things on this. Number one, I want to tell you why exactly it is so amazing, and two, just how this matters for each and every one of us. Uh, number one, you, like I said, you probably don't need to have been coming here very long to know that there are times you come in and the parking lot's full. I just was watching someone <laughs> look for a parking spot out there. And we know that based on how people are coming, how many people come in cars, that our parking is going to be a challenge, particularly into the future. When we need to expand this building someday, which is going to come sooner than any of us ever thought it would, we know that on our current lands, it's sort of that orangish, reddish color, 
even when we expand, we, we won't have in the future as many parking spots as we need. In fact, by some estimates, we could be as many as 100 spots short when we expand this building. That's a big deal. 100 parking spots is like 200 people to service that we would have room for in this building as it expands, but we wouldn't actually have a parking spot for them. But this corner lot in purple, a lot that honestly we never even dreamed would be available to us, that corner lot makes a huge deal because we can easily fit the 100 needed parking spots on that piece of land. And another thing I would say, too, and that's huge. I mean, just for sharing the gospel, right? That many more people that can come in here. Another thing I'll say, too, is, so if you look in the upper right, that intersection there of Lexington and 125th, so right now, 30,000 cars a day go through that intersection. Well, probably not now with a detour and such, but like on a regular day, right? 30,000 cars a day. MnDOT has said that by the year 2040, it will be 50,000 cars a day. And see, by not having another tall building on that property that's blocking the view of our building, I know that's not the biggest thing in the world, but it's not nothing either. And so there's a couple reasons I think this really matters for the long-term future of our church. Okay, that's why it matters. This is why I think we all need to be in this together. So our bank, on short notice, has said that they will give us a loan for $1 million for this piece of property. Now, it costs one3 million dollars. And so we need $300,000. We as a church, we have a little money in reserves, but we also know because we're growing so fast that when we get to phase two of this building, if we're ever going to have even a shot at getting a loan for that, we need to basically save every penny we have for when that's coming. And so because I know raising $300,000 in a very short time, because we're hoping to sort of close on it this summer sometime, I know that's not easy. So one of the things that I did is I met with the leaders, kind of the key drivers of this church first. And I said, okay, listen, guys, this is a huge deal, incredible opportunity for our church. We cannot lose this. If we don't buy this, somebody else is going to buy this, right? And so we can't lose this. So I want you are leaders. I want you to lead. Let's, let's lead together in this. And I want you to give first and inspire our church to then go the rest of the way. And so I'm here to tell you that our leaders have responded, have responded in an astounding way. So we're trying to raise $300,000. Our leaders just themselves, which is not a massive group of people, have already given $192,000 to this. That's incredible. We, just, we have always just been blessed with people who just believe so passionately in what God is doing here. Okay, so here's what we need. We need to raise uh, the rest of us $108,000 so that we can snatch up this land for the future of our church. And so what we're going to do is two weeks from today, on June 5th, we're not going to draw this out and we're all going to give monthly for the next three years. We're just going to do this for a day, right? And probably because we just need the money now, right? Okay, so on June 5th, at the end of our service, we are going to do a special offering and we're going to pray the impossible And we're going to pray that $108,000 comes in in one day. So I want you to seek the Lord on this. I want you to talk to him. What can you give? We all want to be a part of this. Can you give $50? Can you give $500? Can some of you give $5,000? I mean, honestly, if you do the math, right, getting to $108,000 in a day is going to require some significant gifts as well. And then come on June 5th, we will watch God move and we'll see what happens. Okay, if you have any questions about it, ask any of our leaders, ask me after the service, we'd love to answer that for you. But I just, I just, just all morning, I'm just getting the chills even talking about it. God's hand on this church 
from the beginning. And some of you have been here for a long time and seen just the amazing moves. It's just another chapter of God moving, and I'm just, it's fun to watch. Okay, all right, let's get into our message. We are in week three of three of teaching through the book of Philemon in the Bible. Uh, If you are just joining us for the very first time, Philemon is a letter from one of the early leaders of the Christian church, a man named the Apostle Paul, who was actually in prison for his faith for talking about Jesus when he writes this letter. And he writes this letter to a man named Philemon. And Philemon was a leader in his church. He was actually the host of the church, as they had the house church model for centuries. And Philemon actually is a wealthy man who owned slaves. And one of his slaves, Onesimus, has run away and somehow, by the sovereignty of God, met Paul in Rome in prison. And Onesimus, the slave, has become a Christian. And so, now, before you get really flustered about Philemon, this Christian being a slaveholder, let me say two things to you. Number one, if you weren't here last week, uh, go back on the app online and listen to Pastor Josh's fantastic message on what does the Bible teach about slavery. I think that's so helpful. Uh, Number two, remember, historically, even 300 years ago, so if you go back to like the 1720s, very few people questioned slavery. Now, slavery is a deplorable practice, right? But in the culture at the time, very few people questioned it 300 years ago. If you go back 2,000 years ago, most people barely even blinked about it. And yet, here in this letter, 2,000 years ago, we have this powerful Christian leader, Paul, telling Philemon that not only should he accept his former slave Onesimus back, but that he should let him be a slave no longer. He should accept him back as a Christian brother. That is the right thing to do. So Christianity, countercultural from the very beginning. Okay, everybody grab a Bible if you haven't grabbed one already. Uh, if you don't bring your own and you use one here, uh, we are going to be on page 817. So Paul's asked Philemon to take Onesimus back, and we're going to begin to just flesh out even more of his reasoning behind that now. So we're in Philemon. There's just one chapter, so you want to look for the number 17. That's where we left off last week. Okay, here's what Paul says. He says, So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him, that's Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention, you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, before we jump back to the beginning of this passage, look at those last few verses here. You sometimes, people who've never read the Bible, they say, oh, the Bible is just like stories and fairy tales and legends and all that kind of stuff. I will say this. Listen, Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox does not read like the letter of Philemon, right? This is a historical letter. He's exchanging information. He's saying, prepare a guest room for me. 
He's talking about literal historical people saying they, they send you things. This is a letter. If you've never studied genres in the Bible before, one of the things I want to recommend to you is take our Studying God's Words class, Word class. It is amazing. People love this class. You will learn what's called hermeneutics. That is how to interpret the Bible and how to study it. it is so, any of the classes are so good. This is a Bible-teaching church, and we want you to learn how to study the Bible. So take a class. Okay, as we start working through the passage now, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. This is a passage about forgiveness. And what I don't want you to do this morning is only interact with this passage on an intellectual level. If we do that, we fail what God wants to do through his Holy Spirit and through his word, which is living and active. And so let's let's start here. This might be kind of hard, but let's start here. I want to ask you this morning, who in the past has wronged you? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's something they said to you could be long ago. Maybe it's something they never said to you. It could be an old boss, a coworker, a friend, a former friend maybe, a spouse, maybe an ex. Who has wronged you? And if you can, what I want you to do is kind of keep that person in mind as we progress through the process so that you can take the word of God because you don't want to take the word of God and just go to information, information. It has to hit our hearts as well. Okay, so we're really going to laser in on verses 18 and 19. So I actually want to read them again because these are amazing. So 18 says this. If he, that's Onesimus, has done you, Philemon, any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing you, writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention, you owe me your very self. What he's saying there at the end is he's saying, like, okay, Philemon, remember, the only reason that you're saved, the only reason that you know Jesus is because of me. It's because of Paul's preaching. But look at this. This is actually kind of interesting because Paul says, okay, Philemon, listen, Onesimus is guilty. He sinned. He stole from you. That's wrong. He deserves punishment. There are debts that need to be paid, but I'll pay it. As a now friend of Onesimus, and they became friends, I'll take care of it. You charge it to my account. Do you see what's happening here? This is actually amazing. I love the Bible. This, do you know what Paul's doing? This is the gospel. He's imitating it, demonstrating it for Philemon. Because isn't this exactly what Jesus did for you? Jesus looked at your sin and your guilt, and he said to his father, you know what, erase all of that from their account. Forgive it, and then charge it to my account. I'll pay for it on the cross. It's the gospel. Isn't it amazing? And there's a few things here that are really important that we can't miss. In fact, Paul dives into, this is sort of some deeper stuff here, on deeper teaching on forgiveness to Philemon. And I want to pull out two lessons from this as he goes a little bit deeper than we normally go on forgiveness and what it means. So here's the first one. Paul gives us two lessons, really on forgiveness, and I'm going to say also on justice. So lesson number one is forgiveness is not absent of justice. So one of the things that we say here often is that God is a God of forgiveness, but he's also a God of justice, And I will tell you that our culture right now has no idea. And when I say no idea, I mean no idea. How to put together forgiveness and justice. So like what Paul does here in this letter looks 
almost nothing like anything in our culture. So Paul doesn't sound anything like a late 20th century or even early 21st century postmodern. If a postmodern was writing this letter, they would have said something like, you know what, just forgive Onesimus. He can make his own choices. He decides what's right. You do you, right? That's what it would say. Now, if someone was writing this letter in 2022 in our sort of fast-developing, pharisaical cancel culture, and let's say they were tweeting out the letter, you know what they would tweet about Onesimus? They would tweet, Onesimus, he's dead to me, right? They'd say, he's a pariah, toxic, an outcast. That's what we would say. But Paul, it doesn't look anything like that, right? No, what we find in Philemon is the gospel, And what's fascinating is it's not only forgiveness, and it's not only justice, it's both. And if we don't keep forgiveness and justice together, actually, I'll submit to you that forgiveness will always feel cheap. Like, if if your coworker lied about you at work, and you got fired because of it, and you're hearing me say, forgive them, right? Or your spouse left you and your kids, and you're hearing me say, Forgive them. And sometimes that's all we say when we talk about forgiveness. Just forgive and forget or whatever. If you're totally honest, isn't there a part of you that feels like, that just feels cheap. But forgiveness and justice go together. Actually, Romans chapter 12 is super helpful to understand this concept. Uh, If you don't want to go there, I'll throw it on the screen for you. Romans 12, verse 17. Paul says to the Christians... Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Remember, we follow the teachings of Jesus, who tells us to what? Turn the other cheek. He tells us to love your enemies. Don't take an eye for an eye. So Paul says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room Here we go. Now watch. We didn't just say forgive. Watch justice come back in. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so let's get practical. Let's say you do have someone that you need to forgive. What does that look like in your mind, mentally or verbally, if that person is alive and you can talk to them? What you're doing when you forgive is you're saying, I've been holding this against you, right? I've been thinking maybe about how I could even get back at you. Some of this you probably don't want to say out loud, right? Because some of you are just dreaming about them suffering, right, maybe? Okay, maybe it's just me. That's fine. Look at you. Uh, You can preach next week. Uh, But what you're saying is, I forgive you, and I let go of my right to punish you. You're not saying what they did was right. You're not saying that it doesn't matter. In some cases, you might not even be able to reconcile with that person. In a small amount of cases, it might not even be safe for you to reconcile with that person. But what you are saying is that you forgive, and this is the part that I think a lot of people miss, and you're not the judge. And the beauty of that is what we just read about in Romans 12. Just because you're not the judge doesn't mean that justice still doesn't exist. Because remember, there is forgiveness and there is justice. And all things, all things, will have their justice from God. We just read, it's God's responsibility, not ours, to make everything right. 
And this is the teaching on forgiveness, the biblical teaching on forgiveness that we're seeing in Philemon. This is not some cheap, secular version of forgiveness that says, oh, you know what, just forgive and forget and sweep it under the rug and it doesn't matter. No, this is the gospel. So think about this letter. Philemon wants Onesimus to pay for what he did, but Paul says, no, you forgive. But so justice will still be done, I'll pay. And you and I, if we're honest, we have all sorts of people that have wronged us that honestly, we want them to pay for what they did. And Jesus says, no, you forgive. But so justice will be done, I'll pay. I'll pay. And listen, for some people, tragically, they're going to refuse Jesus' offer to pay for those sins that they committed against you. And so in the end, actually, tragically, they will pay in hell for the sins that they've committed against you. It's tragic. But our hope is, through our honestly surprising, unexpected offer of grace and forgiveness to them, that they would see Jesus' grace and forgiveness, and he would pay for their sins. That our grace leads to them seeking grace. And church, if we get this, if we get what Jesus has done, we should be doing this all the time as Christians, as Christ imitators. In fact, this is, I think, the second thing that, that Paul is really trying to get across to, Ones, or to Philemon. Number two is this, that we, as Christians, we deserved justice. But what did we get? Forgiveness. And so our job as Christians is to model that, is to imitate that. That's what's going to give Philemon the power to actually forgive Onesimus. That's that part where he says, hey, Philemon, remember, you owe me your very self. In other words, Philemon, remember how you became a Christian. Remember how you got saved. Remember that Jesus forgave you a sinner. And if he forgave you a sinner, then you can forgive a sinner. In fact, look at verse 17 for a moment if you still have it open. So Paul says, Philemon should welcome his former slave Onesimus like who? Who should he welcome him like? What's it say? Like Paul, right? Well, that's a big deal between a former slave and this great apostle. In fact, Paul says this principle is even greater than this. If, if you look again back at the book of Romans, Romans 15, Paul explains this principle in an even deeper way. He says, accept one another, as Christians, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So in Christianity, this is what we call the platinum rule. You remember the golden rule? Like treat others like you want to be treated. The platinum rule is that we treat others like Christ treated us. And what did he do for us? He forgave us. And if we treat others like he treated us, then we forgive other people. I heard this from Brian Loritz uh, recently, and I, I just really liked it. I'm going to throw this quote on the screen. He said this, Our horizontal relationships with others must tell the truth. They must reflect our vertical relationship with God. Okay, so if God keeps looking at your sin day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, and he's going, yep, you sinned again. You sinned again. There you go. Sinning again. But here's the thing. I knew you were going to do that. And I still sent my son Jesus for you because I am crazy in love with you. Do you, know, do you believe that, church? 
Do you believe that? We do. Okay. Well, if we believe that, then who are we to turn to the one who has wronged us and said, you sinned again, but for you, there will be no forgiveness. You see what I'm saying? See, that, that, that juxtaposition right there is exactly, because God knows us, this is exactly why Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, you, you may know this parable, or it's foggy for you. You may never have heard it before, but basically it's this. Jesus tells a story of a servant who uh, worked for a king, and this servant, it, found, it was found out that he owed the king 20 years worth of wages. Well, the king finds out about it and says, hey, basically, I'm selling you and your whole family into slavery so you can pay back this debt. And the servant begs the king for mercy. And the king, surprisingly, shows mercy and cancels the debt. He forgives the debt of the servant. Well, shortly thereafter, this servant, who just had his debt forgiven, goes out and finds a friend, a fellow servant, who owed him only 100 days worth of wages. And he says, you need to pay me back right now. And his friend, the other servant, says, I can't do that. I don't have the money for that. So the first servant throws his friend in jail because his friend can't pay it back. Well, the king gets word of this, and he brings the first servant in, and he's going to speak to him. And this is, put your seatbelt on. We're going to read this. Okay, Matthew chapter 18. The king says this, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then the king throws the first servant in jail because he clearly didn't grasp what the king had done for him. And honestly, I think this is a chilling parable. Do we, as Christians, truly understand what the king has done for us? Because I will tell you, if you do, if you really get it, then you will show that same mercy and forgiveness to other people. As C.S. Lewis once said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has excused the inexcusable in you. And so who is it that you need to show the forgiveness of Jesus to someone else? Who is it in your life that you need to say, yeah, Lord, I need to forgive them. You forgave me. I just need to let it go. I need to forgive. I trust God you will make all things right, but I need to forgive. Who do you need to text this afternoon? Who do you need to call up? Who do you need to even meet with this week? If God is putting someone on your heart, I just be obedient to that. In fact, I will tell you, this is my personal belief, I think one of the best ways that we can witness about Jesus in this current cultural moment is to forgive people and to share our stories of forgiveness. Like we live in a time, some of you see this all the time, we live in a time, especially if you're younger, we live in a time where people are cast aside, they are counted as toxic, they are cut off from their families for a belief or one decision. There's no forgiveness. And so Christians, our acts of forgiveness are needed now more than ever. And that is such an entryway. There are a lot of leading thinkers out there right now that are saying, this is the entryway of how we bring the gospel in this culture. It is forgiveness. People don't know it anymore. They never see it. We bring it. And we tell our own stories of forgiveness. In fact, we want to do a little bit of that right now. I'm going to call our baptismal team on stage right now because we, 
all morning long are celebrating baptisms, the stories of forgiveness. In fact, we have two people getting baptized at each service all morning long because baptism, baptisms are a reminder that Jesus Christ has what? Has paid our debt. And he paid it. And by our faith in him, we are washed clean. It's not by being good enough. It's by our faith. And baptism, it doesn't save you. We always have to clarify that, especially in the upper Midwest here where we live. Baptism doesn't save you. It is a symbol of what God has done when you believe that he washes away your sin. And it's something that every Christian should do. So if you haven't done this yet, this is for you. You sign up, you do this next time in a month or so. Baptism is like the wedding ring of the Christian faith. It says, yes, I am a follower of Jesus now, and he has saved me and washed away my sins. So every person you see baptized at Renovation Church is baptized by sponsors. These are people that have had a spiritual influence on their life. It's a high honor uh, at our church. And so uh, we're going to begin. So uh, Reggie, you can come up. My name is Reggie. I received the Roman Catholic Sacrament of Baptism as a baby in the Philippines. We soon moved to Chicago, and my home church had an attached elementary school that I I attended up until eighth grade. Some of my teachers were nuns, so I got a basic amount of religious education, including Latin, which I sometimes like to mention because, hey, it sounds cool. I... I also received the Sacrament of Confirmation because at that point I was allegedly more self-aware than I was as a baby. I stood at the front of the church with a bunch of classmates, and we all proudly confirmed our faith in God. So that stained-glass cathedral with its serious priests and hard wooden pews, that's the environment I came from. Somehow it helped reassure me that God watched over me, and Jesus was who I talked to. And the Holy Spirit was there to help me find my way. However, I don't mean to be overly confident just for being raised the way I was. As a grown-up, I've got a lot to learn. Our friends Eric and Danielle told us about Renovation Church this past fall, and it sounded like what we've been looking for. One good thing is that Pastor David actually tells us page numbers in the Bible. And another good thing is this community. The house group we've been attending... Tuesday night at Linda and Alex Pepin's Treehouse. Everyone has been very supportive, and it's empowering for us to be able to be the same. And that's why I'm here today, to share my faith story and to make a splashy public statement about giving my allegiance to Jesus. So here it goes. I believe that I'm a sinner and that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins out of love so that I can be his child and I commit publicly to give my life to him. One of my sponsors today is Gary Mueller. Uh, I was lucky that he was assigned as my mentor for the discipleship program because he has a lot of insight to share as a retired pastor. My other sponsor is Joe, Joe Morano. He was the facilitator of my subgroup in my larger house group. Joe is someone who's always open to God, and the lessons of Jesus, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In my humble opinion, both these fellows exemplify the core values of Renovation Church. If my son Lucas and I are to follow the example of Jesus, we will need their help to be reborn here and now. Thanks, everyone. 
Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in obedience to his command, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Lucas. I was born and raised in the Lutheran faith, which I believe heavily influenced my upbringing on its own, but I never truly knew God, as I had only heard bits and pieces from prayers, conversations, and sermons from church, but as time passed, I heard reoccurring phrases such as John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life which was a revolutionary phrase that changed my perspective, along with various psalms, all of which helped guide me along mentally and socially. This continued until about, like, two or three years ago when COVID hit and my family was stuck at home, so we read the Bible. And we tried reading it every day until now, where we will continue to read it, but it showed me the Bible in its essence, which is God's word and guide for us, which brings us to today, the present, where I believe the Bible can be our guide for life, our faith, and to convert others through God's grace. What I'm trying to convey here is, yield to his understanding. Be the Christian example for believers and non-believers alike. I also have one more thing to say. I had thought about getting baptized as a conscious person who can make his own decisions after my parents brought it up. And I was convinced to by Mr. Mueller and his story, along with my parents, who all happen to be my sponsors. So with all that said, I choose to be baptized today as a public proclamation that I have put my faith in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins, and now I have given my life to him. Amen. Amen. Uh, we were doing this all morning. You want to come back for third service? Uh, you feel free to do that. <laughs> Two more people. Okay. You know, we love this because when these guys are up here sharing their story, they're sharing what is the most important story, right? Is the story of forgiveness. I told you earlier that when, when Paul writes to Philemon and he says, hey, listen, charge whatever he did to my account. I'll take it on, but you forgive him. That's the gospel. That's, that's the story of what Jesus did for us. But really, it's actually even more amazing than that. You can think of it this way. So one of the things the Bible tells us is that God sees everything that we've ever done. And that when we meet him someday, a judgment that we will give an account for our lives. So if you can, imagine like an account, an actual account, a list that has everything you've ever done. Every sin, every lustful thought, every angry, careless word, every moment of bitterness that you've held out against your family, those apathetic attitudes towards God, this all on the list. 
And it goes on and on and on. And the older we get, the longer it is. And also the more justice required there is for all of those sins. I think of my own list, and it is probably a mile long. And I'm sure yours is somewhere in the ballpark, right? Have you ever thought about this? What does Jesus' list look like? Well, the Bible tells us that he's the son of God and he's sinless. And so there's no sins on his list. What, in fact, is on the account of Jesus is all of his good things. It's his good works, his good deeds, his mercy, his love, his miracles. The Bible calls this his righteousness. That means, like, his goodness. And what the Bible teaches is that when Jesus died on the cross, that he gave you an amazing offer. He says, if you believe in this, not if you get your life together, it's not that. It's if you believe in this, that I died for you, and you say, I, I believe it, I want you to be my savior and my king. That's the leader of my life. If you truly believe in that, then what he'll do is he'll take that list of sins and he's essentially going to make an account transfer. He's going to take that whole list and he's going to empty it out and transfer it over to his list. And then because there should be justice for those sins, Jesus is going to pay the price for your sins. And he's going to die on the cross. And that is utterly amazing. And here's the thing. What the Bible teaches, sometimes people leave this out, is actually even more amazing than that. I know what you're thinking. How do you get more amazing than that? Well, it is. Because what the Bible teaches is that God then takes this good list. Remember all the good things that were on Jesus' list? And he transfers that back to your account. This is 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. Right? He's sinless. To be sin, so he gets all of your sin, and then what do you get? It says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. He gets all your sin. Now on your list is his good works. It's his righteousness. So that when you die, you meet God. You're going for judgment. You're going, oh, my life has been a mess, but I trusted in Jesus. When God is looking at your account, do you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the goodness of God. You are worthy now to enter the kingdom of heaven because you have the righteousness of God on you. That is the offer that's in front of you. And if that's just kind of clicking for you, maybe for the first time, and you used to always think, you know, I'll, I'll be saved, I'll go to heaven, I'll know God if I, you know, I come to church enough and I check out the Bible and I don't kill anyone and I try and be a good person. That's not what this book says. It isn't. What it says is that God has seen everything you've ever done, the wickedness, the evil, all of it, and still loves you. That he sent his son to die in your place. And if you truly believe in that, you say, it's me, I believe, the accounts are swapped. That's amazing grace. Amazing grace. And you can know that today. You can make the decision to believe in that today. And if you believe in that, God will come into your life. There's a relationship you can have with him. He starts changing you. We're just hearing stories of that all morning. And it is powerful and it is real. And I want to give a few of you a chance to just make that decision today. Because some of you just need to make that decision today. So let's do this. Let's have everyone in the room, just for a minute, would you just bow your head and just close your eyes? If you've never believed this before, and it's just clicking for you today, that yes, God loves you, he sent his son to die for you, and you can be forgiven. You can know him by placing your faith in him. That account transfer will happen. What I want you to do is I want to give you a chance to respond to that, to accept that in your life. Sometimes we just need that line in the sand moment, you know, 
And so in a minute, what I'm going to ask you to do is actually just stand where you're at. Nobody's looking, their eyes are closed, but sometimes we just need that moment. Like, yep, it's right now. I'm believing God. And so if you need to do that, and you need that account transfer, you need Jesus to be your savior and leader, you need to tell him, yeah, I finally believe. I get it. It's me. I'm going to follow you. What I want you to do now is just quietly stand where you're at and accept that amazing gift. If that's you, would you just stand? Anyone here where you're just going, yeah, it's me, God. I can't get there on my own. I will never be saved. I've sinned against you. I need to believe that you died in my place. And you made that amazing trade with me. If that's you and you just need that grace in your life, would you just courageously just stand where you're at? Anyone here in the service that needs that? I'll give you about five more seconds. Anyone here? All right. I'm not seeing anyone in the service. You can open your eyes. This is, this is the grace that is offered you if you're just thinking about it. I know there are, there are a lot of people just checking out this church every single week. You're thinking about it. That's in front of you. You don't have to do it in a church. You can go home tonight by the side of your bed and say, Jesus, I get it. I believe it. Here's my life. Take it and come in, and he will. And that's an amazing promise. But to the Christians in the room, this is the theological deep truth that God has swapped with us, and it is amazing. We don't deserve it at all, And yet we have it. And so that's why we want to give it out to other people. We get grace. We want to show grace. All right? Let me just pray and we'll end our service. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in this space. God, we thank you for this incredible opportunity of this land that we never thought was possible. We thank you for all the people who are professing their new faith in you this morning. And we just thank you for your word. God, you are good. We don't deserve it, but we are thankful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, have a great week.